to me, like that is the calling as an investor. Um, as a person that does like care about hungry people, I like the idea that we can feed a lot of people this way. And it's and I say this a lot, and um, it's it's the result of capitalism being a catalyst for change. You know, it's very easy to blame capitalism for the world's problems, um, but I can look at capitalism as you know a solution to a lot of problems. And God, this is like such a great example. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Angel Research Podcast. I am, again, Sarah, the most favorite host, filling in for Jason Stutman. Um, this week we have Jeff Siegel visiting, and he is going to be our guest. He has been here with Angel for quite some time now, you know, has discovered a lot of cool investment opportunities, has made his subscribers a lot of money. Um, Jeff, welcome. Thank, thank you. you for thank you for taking the time to be here today. My pleasure. Um, honestly, let's just get straight to it. Uh, what Right now, are you, like, most bullish on? You're just, like, getting right to it, right? <laughs> yep. Like, I just want to make right some in. money, you know, tell me what I should be looking at. I know. I don't get to see you much. I'm like, just, just tell me. Tell me what's on. I want to pick your brain. You don't know how I'm feeling, how my family is. Just, like, tell me how to make money. Yeah. No, that's fine. That's what they pay me for. No, that's fine. Actually, um, I would love to talk to you about food tech. I All am right. very, very, very bullish on food tech right now. And I actually have my computer open because I want to share with you a quote from this guy's name is Daniel Brady. Or Brody, I'm sorry, uh, is the co-founder of Eat Well Group, uh, which actually is a public company. Uh, he says, we cannot grow from 7 to 10 billion people by 2050 and feed everyone the same way. It's mathematically impossible. We need more sustainable alternatives. And there is a mountain of truth in that uh, for a number of reasons. First of all, just population growth in general. Um, it is significantly difficult to produce food the way we produce it in the United States and other parts of the world, basically um, because of resource resources that we have here, like maybe you don't have in India or certain parts of Africa. But the big point um, that I want to just jump right into is how do we produce enough food for a growing population in a post-carbon world? Um, we know that there has been a continuance of extreme weather events um, over the past especially over the past five or six years. And this is not going to stop. Um, it's going to get worse based on the data. I'm not, I'm not just throwing this out, you know, to talk about climate change. I have no interest in talking about climate change, quite frankly, because I know, you know, people have their own viewpoints on whether or not the data is sound or if it's not, I don't care. What is sound is the data that shows we are seeing um, a continuance of these extreme weather events. What you want to attribute that to, I don't care. We're here to make money and I see a crisis and an opportunity and that's how we make money. So we can look back um, is really is, is, is uh, to the summer, you know, where we had uh, cattle in large numbers. Dying, right? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I saw some videos like that, and I'm like, this looks like a movie, like a scary movie scene or something. It the was nasty. Yeah. It was Ugh. nasty. And it was a result of drought conditions, extreme heat conditions that in those regions, specifically in Missouri at the time, that um, they're not common. Um, so a lot of the, the cattle ranchers were kind of left at a loss. They didn't know what to do. They couldn't do anything. They didn't have the water. It was too hot to take care of the cows, and they died. Um, this is not something that is a, uh, a one-time event. This is going to continue to happen. Um, and on a larger scale, if we look, the, look at the way we produce meat, um, specifically in this country on an industrial scale, it's all centralized you know, like thousands upon thousands of cows in a, in a concentrated animal feedlot. Um, if you get one really bad drought or one really bad heat wave, you're done. You lose everything. You know, if I were, and we hear this a lot from farmers, like small farmers that have a maybe 
you know, a small herd. Something goes bad, they're out of business. But industrial feedlots have always been able to, because they're so large, they can, they've always been able to weather the storm. That's changing now, okay? Mm-hmm. Because you're not only talking about the effect that, and again, I'm just going to focus on cows here, that heat or drought will have on the health of those cows. But how do we feed those cows? You know, in, in an industrial scenario, which we use today, uh, we primarily feed cows soy and corn. Well, if you're having extreme heat conditions, extreme drought, flooding, the price of those commodities soar. So it makes it more expensive for these meat producers to grow and produce and process this meat, which is why when people go to the store, they say, oh, you know, the the price of of steak is is so expensive. The price of ground beef is so expensive. And you can blame any number of things. I mean, inflation is a great way to look at a a way to uh, just lump it all into like a whole kind of thing. It's a completely valid argument. But an even more valid argument is the fact that it's simply going to be more expensive to produce meat when we have to deal with these extreme weather conditions. And again, this is not stopping. So to me, I'm looking at this as, okay, this is this is absolutely a crisis situation because the price of food is going to continue to go up. Now, for us, we can go to the grocery store and say, oh, crap, it's going to cost me an extra dollar to buy a pound of ground beef. But in other parts of the world where these extreme weather conditions are much worse, uh, resource availability is not what it is here, it becomes a life or death situation. Yeah. You know, we see, it's interesting in developing nations, um, there has been an increase in demand for meat protein, specifically like in India, uh, uh, China, parts of Africa. And this is just the result of, of uh, an increase uh, in wealth. Um, the more wealth you have, uh, the, the more demand goes up for meat protein. Again, this is not me just, you know, waxing poetic. This is data. We look at the data and this is what it shows. And this has been consistent over the past 20 years. So what do we do when, again, we have these extreme weather conditions happening and they're happening in places where resource availability is already pretty limited? Again, India, parts of Africa, parts of China. It creates a, a very real problem in terms of feeding this growing population. We, you know, as Daniel said, we cannot continue to feed the world the way we do it now because it's, you, the math doesn't add up. Yeah, I know? mean, it's already not adding up, like, now. I mean, like, I, you know, different places in the world already have, like, food crises as it is. So, like, if you're completely wiping out one of their main sources, like, it, mm-hmm. it's only going to get worse. So. It's absolutely going to get worse. Um, so, yeah, so so what do we do? You know, there's, you know, there are a number of, there are a lot of people that have come out, you know, specifically investors and analysts will say, well, we need to create more um, concentrated animal feedlots so we can have, it's almost the idea that like the more, the idea is the more is better. You know, well, if we have, you know, we distribute this stuff. So maybe in Idaho, there's a really bad drought and it just affects that region. So, but it's okay because in Texas, we have another animal feedlot that has the same amount of cows or pigs or whatever, and we'll make up for it. But that doesn't work. And you can ask, you know, any of the companies that, that like Cargo, ADM, like they don't want to keep doing this. They can't afford to keep doing this. It becomes, um, you know, really squeezes the margins and that's going to continue to happen. So what I do is when I first noticed this crisis, I, I figured, okay, well, who's going to, who, who are the best people to talk to to know how to fix it? Um, and I'm, I, full disclosure, I've never, you know, apologized for being an environmentalist. A lot of this does for me have to do with how do we... Uh, produce food in, a, in an environmentally environmentally sustainable way. But this is all economics at this point. So what I do is I go and I talk to the guys at Cargill. I talk to the guys at ADM, uh, Tyson Foods, 
young brands. Okay, I talk to these guys and I, and I just kind of pick their brains. Like, how are you dealing with this? Because I know they're paying attention and they are. Uh, and they're all very, very heavily invested in, in alternatives in food tech. So what I'll talk to you about a little bit is what they're investing in because I guarantee you what Cargo is investing in now that that type of food production or ADM or Yum any of these companies that's what we're going to be eating in 30 years because they provide the food they know how to do it in a way that's going to make their shareholders money so there are three things that I'm very focused on right now and the the one that I'm really really excited is is cultured meat and I don't want you to freak out when I say cultured meat because sometimes it's called so called lab grown meat and people have this idea of petri dishes and you know like kind of this futuristic toxic environment it's very very simple to explain instead of growing meat in a cow which let's say beef in a cow we're going in a lab all we're doing is taking the same cell structures and we're putting it in a lab to grow the cell structures in a lab to make meat this is happening right now we've been doing it for a long time um it's it was very expensive to do it because you're talking about really creating life yeah, in a lab. Making yeah, exactly. For one, like creating the lab in the first place to make sure it can actually build all this stuff and like ha- I'm assuming it has a bunch of dif- like precautions and everything. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's very it's 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 a very like sterile environment. It's definitely an environment too. Like I've been to a few labs and there are a lot of protocols that I have to go through just to get in there because a lot of the stuff is IP, you know, the, the IP is very valuable, so they're very cautious in like what they let people see. But the easiest way to explain it is again, Instead of growing meat uh, on a farm in a cow, okay, all we're going to do is we're going to take the same cells that exist in that cow to make the muscle, and we're going to put them in a lab and do the same exact thing. The end result is you get meat, just like you get meat from the old, I'll say the old-fashioned way, okay, Uh, because eventually it will be the old-fashioned way. Okay, real quick, you say Mm -hmm. getting cells from a like one of the cows, like how exactly, what? so they still would have to have a farm, or is it something they can just kind of one-and-done kind of thing, like go... Get a cow, take some cells, and it's like, okay? or Pretty much, yeah. You take oh. the cells, and you can reproduce the cells in a lab for many years. Oh, nice. Um, so you're not really a, not really hurting the cow unless the cow's like, don't give me a shot. You yeah. Know? <laughs> and I, yeah. Like and I, honestly, like, going to one cow is, again, like, better than it being, like, a huge farm of, like, thousands of cows that are all just, like, squished together. Well, I mean, <laughs> again, look at it from the standpoint of a company that's trying to make money selling you beef. You know, how much, how much money does it cost to maintain a, a – you know, a, a concentrated animal feedlot that is literally miles and miles and miles wide. Um, just the insurance on that alone is is can be cost prohibitive, especially, again, as we go into a post-carbon world where you're going to see more of these extreme weather events. Um, the very interesting thing to me, though, about cultured meat and making meat in a lab is it is it uses about 95% less water than we use now to grow meat in a cow. And again, as extreme weather events happen, that affects our uh, water availability. We see that happening in the West right now with the Colorado River. This is not going away. This is going to continue to be a problem. Um, and also in terms of land use, you cut your land use down by about 75, 80 percent. Oh, nice. So we're already talking about how can we m- most efficiently create meat. But the really exciting part about this is if you look at the, the, the curve of the cost to produce this meat, okay, say 10 years ago, tens of thousands of dollars to produce a lab-based hamburger, okay? Today, it'll cost about $35 to $45. Now, that's a lot of money. You're not going to spend $35 to $45 on a hamburger, but look at that cost curve decline. You know, yeah, I was going to say. In 10 years, going from tens of thousands of dollars 
to thirty just or forty dollars. Yeah, just like yeah, exactly. Just thirty or forty would still, like you said, to this day, like not any not an average show is just gonna go like every day I go get my forty dollar burger from right, wherever. Yeah. Right, right. But yeah, especially if it drops that much in like just a couple of years, I could see that being a huge, huge change in I would assume it would be in like normal grocery stores and like I guess restaurants and everything too. And so we're already seeing so, there are some restaurants that do serve the cell based meat. Um, I mean they're high end restaurants because it's still very expensive. There in Singapore, there's a restaurant that serves a cell based chicken. Um, but the interesting thing is, if you look at tens of thousands of dollars to thirty forty dollars in just let's say ten years, in another ten years, not only is this food most likely going to be competitive with conventionally grown meat, it's going to be cheaper. Now, you have to think about that for a second. If I, again, going back to like cargo, ADM, like the big meat producers and the big ag companies, they're, in, they're not in business to, to, to you know, an, an altruist, it's not an altruistic endeavor, you know. They're there to make money. They're there to make their shareholders money. So if I'm running that company and someone says to me, look, I can help you produce the same amount of meat you're producing now using less resources and it's going to it's going to be cheaper to produce it this way. It's why wouldn't you? True. I like you'd think that all point uh, signs point to yes, but I mean, would you think like does it taste different? Like cuz I can mm-hmm. see some people being like, "Oh, no, like it has different texture." Or I don't uh-huh. want like the old I want things to be I mean, like also if it does get to the point of regular the original burgers kind of being way more expensive, like that being now the forty, fifty dollar, mm-hmm. hundred dollar burger. But I could see some people still giving some pushback. There's definitely a valid argument to that. So we're still, and I really want to make make this very clear. We're still like in the in the earliest stages here. So the data that I have seen, and just like anecdotally, like watching chefs, for instance, try this meat and giving their thoughts, because the best people to ask are chefs. They can tell you like if the texture is right, if the flavor is right, if the fat content is right, that kind of thing. Um, and it's not perfect. We're not we're not at that place where it's like, yes, this tastes exactly like You're like blindfold me, which ones no one will know the difference. Right. Yeah. But it's pretty damn close. Um, and so, and, and we will be there. It's just like, you know, it's like any technology. If you think like the very first cell phone I had was like the one in the car. There was like this, it was like a briefcase and you plugged it into your cigarette lighter and you know, you had to pay like per minute. You know? True. Or was, just like, yeah, TVs, computers, like would be super chunky. And now look, this is literally like smaller than, and this uh, is an old computer. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a 10 year old computer. Yeah. But prime example, like when just like the monitor itself would like take up this entire half the table. Right. So. Well, okay. Look, here's this, this computer, right? here yeah this is a computer i can do pretty much anything on it you know um and compare that to where we were just 30 years ago or in 20 years ago when you did have to pay like per minute and they were big and clunky and you couldn't go online any of that stuff yeah if you're trying to call from your home but you're on online you're like no oh yeah yeah, yeah, you can't even answer the home phone the old days the phone modem days so okay so that's a really good way to look at it so like let's look at culture and meat like right now we're in the phone modem days Okay. okay, we're still using the modem. We're still doing dial-up. We're not at twenty four hundred baud anymore. We're probably like fifty six hundred. So we're getting there. You almost close, did the T one yeah. lines. We're getting there, um, but that's the best time to be an investor, because it's like you don't. It's it's like with anything. You know, it's like you don't you don't start you don't buy shares of a company once it's already huge and expect to make a ton of money. You know, and we'll talk about we can talk about EVs later. But um, Tesla has always been one of my favorite examples. Is when 
before Tesla was even public, I was writing yeah, about it. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember, yeah, you mentioned Tesla, yeah, before it was even, like, public. Yeah, me, yeah and I cool. told people, I'm like, listen, th this is this is the time to buy because no one's paying attention, you know, and there's a lot of pushback because a lot of pushback is coming from people that don't understand the market um, and don't understand the, the value proposition. And that's when we went in. Of course, we made a ton of money from Yeah, that. I mean, yeah, if I bought Tesla back before it was public, I... <laughs> You bought it before it was public? Yeah. I know. I was going to be like, oh, yeah, not before it was public. Exactly. Like, back, back. Yeah, right. I would probably be on an island somewhere. Right. right. Yeah. I know, like, oh, right? Gosh. So that's the point. So when I talk about these things, it's, you know, yes, it's early stages. So there are issues potentially with, you know, does it taste exactly like meat yet? Is the texture right? No, it's not. Is it still expensive? Yes, it is. But it's like with anything. It's not always going to be that way. Um, and that's why I'm so focused on it right now, because again, this is a crisis opportunity, a crisis um, versus opportunity scenario. It's bottom line, we have to find a better way to produce food, um, specifically meat. And this is the most, will be the most uh, efficient, effective, um, price competitive way to do it. Uh, so some of the, the pushback that I've seen from people when I talk about it, the first response is there's no way I am eating Frankenfood, you know, like something that's created in a lab. And, you know, it's it's a fair assessment because when we think about food, like, if you look at food commercials, you don't see concentrated animal feedlots. Yeah. You know, you see, like, this fake farmer out with his really pretty cow that has no mud on its feet because it's not a real farm. It's not a real <laughs> farmer. And I say this because I work with farmers in upstate New York, and, and I get almost all my food from a farm. Um, so I know how real farms operate, and those aren't real farms. But it's the perception of, yeah. of what we do. Um and I, I also would push back against some people who eat, if you go to a restaurant, specifically a fast food restaurant, they say, well, I don't want to eat, you know, this food made in a lab. Well, what do you think you're eating now? You know, if you eat a, a, a burger from, from McDonald's, it's not like, I mean, yeah. there's some little, little bit of beef in there, but it's mostly corn and soy, you know, and it's produced not in a, a sterile lab environment, but it's, it's produced in an industrial setting with lots of machines and robots and things. And we eat that. And that's actually quite unhealthy too. The interesting thing about cultured meat that I, that I also really like is this is designer meat. So you can make it any way you want. So say, for example, you have heart disease and you don't eat red meat because of the fat content. In a cellular culture world, in a cultivated meat culture world, we can actually produce a steak that has less saturated fat, or and it'll still taste like a steak. It'll still be juicy. You cook it like any other, you know, steak, um, and you don't have to worry about the the health concerns with oh, that. I, it's yeah. designer meat. This is the future. This is what I'm saying. And people are very. It's it's hard to wrap your head around things that you haven't seen yet, and I understand that. But then again, it's like. Do you want to earn? Do you want to make a 10x return, a 20x return, or do you want to make you know a 10% return? I, I'm not judging. Do whatever makes you happy. But I've been very, very successful over the last 20 years in this business, and it's my biggest successes have always come from getting in early on new technologies. And this is for me. This yeah. is the next electric vehicle situation. This is the next biotech. You know, this is huge. No, that makes sense, especially like you said, the the option of being able to be specifically curated for people, especially with health issues. And like another thing I'm assuming, since it's not actually from a cow, it would be like kind of considered vegetarian in a way. Like, I don't know if that's something because like, that's a huge right. reason why a lot of people don't eat meat is like for the animal cruelty aspect. And like, whether like, I know you said that they have to get the cells from an animal in the first mm -hmm. place, but like, I don't know if like people would be like, oh, I'd be more willing to eat from these meat producers who only had a get cells from a cow once 
tens of years ago when they first had to do it because he said that they can just keep producing it. Right. So I could see that being like a whole game changer too for it, like, I mean, I don't know. Well, it <laughs> is. So it, it's interesting because it has, if you look at the data, there actually has been an increase in um, in uh, like meatless burgers or like vegetarian-based meats or just, um, there has been an increase in actually vegetarian and vegan consumers. We've, we're actually, we are seeing even omnivores are eating more plant-based foods with their meat. I mean, that's, again, I'm not just talking out of my ass here. I mean, this is the, this is what the data shows us. Um, so there is, there is that, that move. Now I, I would caution against, uh, I would caution against saying that, yes, this is completely vegan. Um, because yes, you can take the cell. You're not going to harm the animal by taking the cell out of the out of the animal and then reproducing those cells in a lab. Um, but there is at this point, in order to grow the meat, you need a, a like a growth serum, which is um, which does actually come from a calf right now. So yes, there are animals still being um, killed to make this. But here's the interesting thing about that too. Again, whenever there's a, a you know a situation where like we can do it better, this is it because the the most expensive part of making uh, a cell-based piece of meat is the growth serum, which is, which again comes from a calf. So there are a number of companies that are looking, for, that are trying to develop synthetic versions oh, of they this. already trying to find a cheaper version. They're like, right. okay, let's cut down costs even more. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's not about like, I don't want to hurt animals. It's about, well, we have to do this cheaper. Now it's interesting you bring up the animal thing too, because PETA, which is like, you know, they're pretty yeah. aggressive in terms of like, oh, if yeah. you kill a they're fly, oh they're coming gosh. after you, you know? They'll be like crying. They'll be like, do you know what happens <laughs> with McChickens or something? I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. So even PETA has come out to say they are in favor of cultured meat because ultimately it will, not, it will not PETA. affect <laughs> animals, right? People decide to not eat meat for any number of reasons, um, whether it be animal cruelty, it could be health health issues. Some people are actually allergic uh, to meat. I mean, there's not a lot of people. I don't, I don't think, I haven't seen the data on it, but I've, I've maybe met two people in my life that have allergic reactions to meat. Um, by and large, I would suspect that it has a lot to do with health issues. Yeah, no, that makes sense, especially like you're saying, the, the heart condition. I'm like, there's people in my family that I know that, literally don't eat red meat specifically because mm -hmm. they're like, I like staying alive. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, even the way we produce meat now, I mean, there's, so if you think about, again, about a con concentrated animal feedlot, those animals are pumped with all kinds of steroids and antibiotics that are, you know, there's a lot of data out there that says it's not really a good way. It, it's not really uh, particularly healthy for us to eat that kind of meat. So when the meat that I eat comes from a farm where the cows just hang out and eat grass like they're supposed to. Yeah. Um, they're not pumped up with anything. So I'm getting the probably the cleanest meat you can get. Um, but that is also like I'm very fortunate that I can afford that. Um, not everybody can can afford that. You know, uh, the promise of cultured meat is not only can we have cheaper meat, but healthier cheaper, healthier meat. Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's the greatest thing ever. Um, no, no, I get, I get very excited about it because it's, um, I think that one of the reasons I first really got excited about it, it was the fact that there are a lot of hungry people in this world. Oh, for sure. And overall global hunger at, has decreased over the years. And I would, I would say that that is largely the result of um, capitalism. It's a, a, of, of free markets um, enabling people to produce meat uh, at scale, which wasn't possible 50 years ago. Um, but we can do better uh, because there are still a lot of people that are going hungry. Imagine that we have a lab that can pump out very, very cheap meat. Uh, and it doesn't have to be just meat either. It can be any number of, of it can be vegetables too. Because cellular agriculture in gener general can involve, you know, 
again, using cells to make Yeah, this is just the first step plants. stone. Like you said, yeah, like you're just focusing on like beef right now or something, but it could. Like right. The, and I focus uh, mostly on the meat because th- that's where the money is. You know, that's, that's where we're seeing the most growth. Um, and that's where, you know, these food producers make the lion's share of their, of their money. So um, I love the idea of potentially, I can't say ending world hunger. I don't know if that's ever possible to do that. Um, but, you know, rapidly seeing a decrease in, in world hunger. There are people in parts of Africa and India that will never know what it's like to eat a hamburger. And not because they're Hindu. You know, it's because that they can't afford it. It's not available to them. But one day it will be. And that one day is not 100 years from now. That one day is 20, maybe 30 years away. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of promise there. I mean, we're talking again about making it cheaper for these companies. Again, if we're just talking about the money, okay, which is why we're here, right? Yeah. We want to make money investing. If I'm going to invest in, uh, you know, a company that produces meat and that company comes out tomorrow and says, guess what? We found a way to do exactly what we've been doing for the last 50 years. Um, but we can do it at half the cost, which means our, our margins are going to, are, are going to just, uh, uh, we're going to see margins like we've never seen before, <laughs> right? Revenue is going to skyrocket. Profit are going to skyrocket. Um, and so to me, like that is the calling as an investor. Um, as a person that does like care about hungry people, I like the idea that we can feed a lot of people this way. And it's, and I say this a lot and um, it's, it's the result of capitalism being a catalyst for change. You know, it's very easy to blame capitalism for the world's problems. Um, but I can look at capitalism as, you know, a solution to a lot of problems. And God, this is like, such a great example. You know, the money that we invest in, in these companies today that are going to produce meat this way in 30 years, are, that those companies are going to feed a lot of people that, you know, previously wouldn't be able to eat at all. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, that's that's my diatribe on, on why capitalism is good. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I compare this cultivated meat to pretty much any major technology we've seen, you know, in my lifetime and probably my parents' lifetimes too, whether it be transport, modes of transportation, energy, um, tech, you know, this is, this is, this is going to be it. So, um, there are not a lot of public companies that you can invest in that are sell at, we would say cultured meat companies. There are a couple, um, that are doing interesting things, but as an investor, I need more than interesting things. I need to know I'm going to make some money. Um, and I'm not particularly bullish on a couple of these companies. I don't see them as particularly profitable, um, at least in the near term. But there are a couple of holding companies that have um, some really um, valuable IP, uh, a lot of valuable pub- uh, private companies under their umbrella that are doing amazing work. And everything from it could be meat, it could be fermentation, um, using microalgae to make oils um, and food additives. It's more than just cultured meat. It's just food tech in general that, again, bring down the cost of food, make it healthier for all of us. Um, and then, of course, the companies that are providing the food make a lot more money. And as a shareholder, I, in turn, make money as there well. There we go. Right. I, know, that- so, I know. So many positives. Like, even especially, like you said, like, it being cheaper to produce and, like, better for you. Because, like, you think if you go to the grocery store, when you're buying the cheaper thing, it's usually the thing that has the most preservatives and all mm-hmm. the salt. And you're like, oh, I'm trying to save money because everything's expensive, but I also want to eat better, but everything that's like organic or a, a plant is like, I don't know. No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's, it's just. A, it's 100% accurate. It's 100% accurate. And it's always hard for me to talk about this too, because 
you know, it kind of reminds me when, like, when I start, first started writing about electric vehicles, and this is before Tesla went public, um, and there were no um, highway-capable electric vehicles on the roads at all. And just bringing up the idea of an electric car was, like, just, you know, people were just, get the hell out of here with that, you know, hippie nonsense or whatever, you know. But and, and, and for a long time, I mean, there really was no value to some of the companies that were making electric cars because they weren't. They didn't feel the need that they didn't feel a need that that most people have. You know, I need a car that's going to get me to work every day or the store. I need to get on the highway. And you know, we're talking about a time when the electric vehicles that were on the market didn't go faster than forty miles per hour. You know, your range was maybe thirty or forty miles. I mean, yeah, that's then, cute, like, but they, there's, yeah, no, there's no value to that. You exactly. Know? And then like not having the proper like charging places. It's like okay, yeah, I have it at oh, my yeah. house, but it's like once I leave, there's like where am I going to go? You have to like look for like spend actual time of your life being like, where do I go? And then sit there for hours. There were not even charging stations around back then. You yeah. know? So again, I, I always thought it was very interesting, um, but I, I knew it was just like, listen, someone's got to come up with a better mousetrap or this is never going to happen. And that's what happened with Tesla and, and Elon Musk. When uh, I think it was 2007, I was speaking at a conference, an oil conference. And I, that was the first time I publicly talked about electric cars because I saw what Tesla was doing. Um, and, I, and I saw that, this company has a high, like a really nice car, highway capable car. It can go hundreds of miles on a single charge. Um, it was really, really impressive. And, it, and then it just hit me. I'm like, this is going to happen. Like someone figured it out. And, and I was right, you know. Um, and, and we did invest in Tesla the, the second it went public and it did very, very well. Um, I, there was, a, again, a lot of pushback. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but at the time when Tesla first went public, I mean, there was maybe, I would say 90% of the analysts out there were just shitting on Tesla. Oh, they were just like, this is never going to work. They're going to run out of charge. You're never going to. I mean, and it was like a concerted effort against against Elon Musk oh, at, at the time. I Everyone's mean, like, this idiot. And now it, here we are. Right. Sounds like one of the richest people ever. Just yeah, like, the oh, richest oh, person, yeah. right? <laughs> and then they had, um, I, I remember there was, I don't remember what uh, magazine it was. I think it was maybe Car and Driver. Um, but someone actually did a review of Tesla, and they, they took the vehicle out on the road, and then they take a picture of the vehicle on the back of a tow truck, and they say, yeah, it ran out of charge. This thing's useless. Well, Elon Musk is a smart guy, and he had, like, all kinds of sensors and stuff to tell him, like, didn't run out of charge. You fucking lied. <laughs> and it turned out that the guy did lie. He <gasps> lied about the whole thing. So there was, very, there was an actual concerted effort against Elon Musk, against Tesla, and against the idea of electric vehicles because, you know, the companies that were making the, the vehicles, they didn't want to transition. Why would you want to do that? You have a good thing going. Um, but when you build a better mousetrap, you can't keep it a secret, you know, forever. Yeah. Um, and I think really, you know, although there are a number of electric vehicles on the market today um, and on the roads today, you know, there's no doubt that, that Elon Musk and, and Tesla are responsible for getting us to the beginning of that transition, which is happening. We are transitioning away from internal combustion. You know, we've seen the data. Uh, 20, I think it's 2040. By 2040, 50% 50, 50 of all new vehicles sold will be electric. That's, That's a very yeah. big deal. So you're talking, so when it, Tesla went public, what, 2010, I believe. So we're talking within 30 years, we're going from not even 1% of vehicles on the market being electric, being sold, to 50%. So when you say vehicles, do you mean just cars <coughs> specifically or like would it transition to like buses, like other forms of transportation? That's a, a very good question. So yeah, so um, for passenger vehicles, they're saying, uh, well, the Bloomberg data is showing 50% uh, all new car sales. So it doesn't mean 
50% of all cars on the road are going to be electric, but 50% of all new car sales. So that's, that's, the, that's the growth that we're looking at. I don't really care about the car on the road that was bought 20 years ago because I'm not going to make any money from that. I'm going to make money off the companies that are selling cars you know, every day, every yeah. year, you know, going forward. Um, it's interesting you bring up the buses, though, because I love the promise of electric buses. Not, again, just simply as an investor. Um, public transportation in the United States sucks. It's yes. horrible. Correct. Um, it's great in other parts of the world, but here it sucks. And I think, and there's a reason for that. It was designed, at some point it was designed to fail. And there's a lot, this is not a conspiracy theory. There's a lot of uh, data about this and, and research has been done. Talks about how uh, the car companies helped dismantle the, the early trolley systems. And, you know, I, I'm not going to, who cares? It's over. There's nothing you can do about it now. Um, but buses are still used um, in our cities, regardless if they're shitty or not. You know, I've been very fortunate. That I've been on really nice buses in Switzerland, you know, and they're fantastic. Um, you know, I drive, I take the bus in Baltimore and it's always late. It smells like urine and you never know if you're going to get shot on the thing, you know? So it's not really something I'm really excited Baltimore. about taking, you know? No place like home. Love it here. <laughs> but the, the reality is, we, are, we will continue to use buses. And from the perspective of, you know, how can I make the most money in the electric vehicle space? Um, I love electric buses because these are, these are sold not as like individual units. So for example, if I'm, if I'm selling, if I'm Tesla and I'm selling cars, okay, I'm selling you a Model S, I'm selling you a Model X, I'm selling you a Model 3, whatever. But if I'm selling electric buses, I'm selling them to municipalities that are going to buy 20, 30, 40 at a time. Um, and they also include, when you, when you talk about a bus, it's not an individual saying, I have to go get a loan to get this car. Like individual governments have money set aside for public transportation. They have to use that money to buy buses um, or to maintain buses. So it's um, it's less of a sell in terms of like trying to convince people to, to go electric. If you talk to these cities and you look at the electric buses versus the conventional diesel buses, it's simply, it, bottom line, it, they are cheaper, cheaper to operate and maintain. Over like let's say a ten-year time span of an electric bus versus a diesel bus, you're going to save a fortune on not just not just fuel, okay? Which oh, yeah, true. Because I can we, imagine the amount of gas that it takes. Right. Or, or a diesel. I mean, diesels. You know, I think I was in New York yesterday, and it was five something a gallon for diesel, which is really cheap if you compare it to what they pay in Europe. Um, but those fluctuations make it difficult for municipalities because they have to a lot of times they'll have to like prepay prepay like, okay, we're going to buy this much fuel for the next three months, you know, because it is a fleet and they can maintain the fleet. Um, so that's an issue, the fluctuating price of oil. Uh, but also the maintenance costs. I mean, your brakes last longer. There are no oil changes, no spark plug issues. I mean, electric, it's just an electric motor. There, there are so fewer moving parts in an electric motor than an internal combustion vehicle. So my point is um, you are seeing municipalities buying electric buses at a much uh, more rapid rate than individuals buying electric cars. Now let's go back to what I said a little while ago. You know, in, by by 2040, 50% of all new car sales will be electric. Now bump that up for electric buses because it's significantly higher. Um, and then also it's easier for so an interesting way to look at this is in the e, in the uh, EU. Because as you know, there's a big energy crisis in the EU. Oh, yeah. uh, you know. Petrol has always been very, very expensive there anyway. So I think it was in 2019, the EU had put together a um, regulatory protocol in place that essentially dictates that uh, by, I believe, 2023, which is next year, 
25% of all buses must be electric. Um, but by 2030, it would be 30%. I don't know what the compound annual growth rate is on that. Um, but all to, you know, essentially, the EU has determined every yeah, bus yeah. Will, that we have will be an alternative fuel vehicle. And now I'm not saying they're all going to be electric. Some might be hydrogen. Um, there are actually some really interesting buses. They're kind of like trolley cars in Germany. Um, but for the most part, they will be electric. So you have that happening in, in the EU. Uh, China has also have similar regulatory protocols in place. Individual states in this country have those. I know California does. I think Oregon, New York. I don't know what the percentages are, but you know they're in the double digits. So those those regulatory protocols. I'm not saying I'm a I'm a fan of the government being involved, but I am a fan of making money. And if I know the government is dictating to these municipalities, you have to get electric buses or at least buses that don't use fossil fuels. Um, it's a guarantee. Like, I know they have to buy it. Yeah, it's it. like they have to spend their money on this, so. They do. And and I look at alternative alternative fuel vehicle, alternative fuel buses, electric wins out over hydrogen and biofuels just on cost alone, whether it's the primarily on maintenance cost. So, um, again, it's it's not rocket science. I'm like, okay, well, I know they have to buy these buses um, and they have to buy the charging uh, infrastructure. So who's going to sell it to them? And that's like, that's when you have to do the digging. You know, there are plenty of, uh, you know, Daimler makes electric buses. Geely in, in China makes electric buses. Um, I'm trying to figure out who's the, who's the king, you know, in this castle. Like, I know there's got to be one company that there's they have a, a strategic advantage over some of these other ones. And there's one company I really like. And I'll, I think we can put this at the – There's a, I have a report that you can link. Okay, nice. Yeah. Um, that talks about this company. But basically, they make the buses, they make the charging infrastructure, they make the batteries, they make all the components. They make everything. Dang. Yeah, really. They're like, got it. Don't, we don't need you. We got it all ourselves. Yeah. So, so put yourself in the situation of the person that has to buy these vehicles. Say you, you you work in Baltimore and you're like the person, like, okay, you decide what we're going to buy. You have to make that decision. Well, if I have to monitor, I don't know, five, 600 buses, I want to make this as easy as possible, which means when I buy this, I don't want to have to go to one company to buy the bus, another company to buy the charging infrastructure, another company to buy the components. Oh, yeah, that'd be a lot. Too many people to talk to. Exactly. Yeah. This company does it all, and they do it in a way that's cost competitive with all the other companies. So um, it's going to take way too long to get involved in, like, you know, how they make the batteries, why their batteries are superior, why the charging infrastructure is superior, and why the buses themselves are superior. But I put all that okay, in, yeah, that, in, the rep- in okay, that report. Cool. But, yeah, buses are really fascinating because we don't really think about that. Again, I think this is something that investors don't think about. When we talk about electric vehicles. They immediately go – Tesla, you yeah. know, or like GM, GM has a new one or, um, you know, Nissan or whatever it may be. And, but the money's in the, in, in the buses right now. Yeah, you know? no, it makes sense. Especially like, like you said, like, even if it's not the best, like we still have buses everywhere. One almost drove me off the road today driving to work. Yeah. So that'll happen. I know. That'll I'm like, happen. don't hurt me. But yeah. And I have to also point out too, that like, in terms of, there are a number of electric bus companies. Um, I mean, there's probably... I'd say more than a dozen right now that actively have contracts with different municipalities, but only a few are global. And to me, that's, that's a big advantage too, because um, again, not, not to beat a dead horse, but this particular company saw the resource supply ch- uh, crunch happening a few years ago and bought in advance. So while some of these other companies are out there trying to figure out how to get their hands on more lithium or more, you know, um, I don't know uh, what's, I didn't sleep well last night. Um, <laughs> any number of the other components, you know, that, that are used to make, you know, whether it be silver, or, um, 
Uh, God, why, I'm trying to think of the other. I don't know. Copper? Uranium? Copper. I'm no, not uranium. Of, copper. I have no idea. I'm just thinking this of This is really embarrassing cable. that I don't even know this. I do know it, but I'm very, very tired. It's fine. Anyway, because um, I did drive straight down here from New York. Yeah, the point cut, is, cut him some slack, guys. Yeah, please <laughs> cut me some slack. Uh, the point is, um, I like how this company operates because they're global. They're smart enough to know that they need these these resources, and they were smart enough to know it years ago. Again, while people weren't paying attention, when people weren't looking at the 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 mandates from these individual governments and realizing that it's much easier to sell thirty buses than it is to sell thirty Tesla Model Xs. And by the way, the margins on those buses are significantly better than yeah. the individual vehicles. So um, yeah, very, very, very bullish on electric buses. And I probably will be, um, I would say, at least for the next probably eight to 10 years. There's a there lot, we go. There's bus fleets are, are being transitioned as we speak. And there are a lot of bus fleets all across the world. Um, and I want to be in the company that's supplying them all. <laughs> yeah, you're like this And the is... batteries and the infrastructure and the components um, because to me that's a long-term play. That's kind of like a Tesla play too. Uh, you know, when Tesla first came out, they were the only game in town. Um, this bus company is not the only game in town, but they're the only one that really matters. Yeah, the one that seems to have the advantage too. And yeah, dang. Looks like you've done your your due diligence and I... that I appreciate because I'm like, <laughs> I'm always lost in the sauce. When... I love this stuff though. Like that's why I think – I think that I've been very successful in this, you know, whether you look at electric vehicles or food tech or renewable energy. We had a lot of money in solar when the solar boom happened back in like 2006, you know. And it's not because I'm just looking for like good investment opportunities because I'm passionate about this stuff. I love I, – I seriously, I would rather go to a – a cultured meat lab and hang out with a bunch of scientists explaining to me how this stuff works than, you know, to go to like a concert and have beers with my friends. I'm that kind of nerd. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Especially to a concert. I'm like, oh. like do know. both. Do both. Give no, a lab, no. Lab of the day concert at night. Like, no, no, no. I just want to hang out in a lab with all these scientists and just let them school me. You right. Know? You're just like taking notes. It's like, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. I'm so interested. I, some, I am interested, but like, you know, I have to like, be honest. I'm like, yeah, I'm also like looking for a way to make money. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, and that's when, and that's the interesting thing too, is when, that's when like you find out who's legit and who's not. Because if someone has something that's legit and you know it's going to work, they don't have to sell you on it. They just show it to you. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And I've seen these buses and I've talked to management and they've never tried to, like, they've never done anything to, you know, try to get me to um, buy into all the hype. They don't need to. Yeah, they're like, like, look at this cool stuff we have. Like, we're we got this cool stuff. Like, you're more than welcome to be a well, part of it. But they're not trying to be all flashy. Like, oh, well, please. I can even tell you right now. So, I mean, I I kept this up because I, I thought I might have to look at it. Um, so this particular company had a 27% increase in total revenue uh, year over year for Q2. This is a time when every company is is shitting the bet. Oh yeah, right. And this company is still making money. The stock is doing great. Um. So that, that's I, you don't need to show me anything flashy. Just show me how much money you're making <laughs> and, and what the sales projections look like. Yeah, show me the numbers. <laughs> I mean, I think we're looking at, um, yeah, 52 electric buses were delivered, more than a half, and more than a half billion in cash and cash and equivalents. Um, again, you can, you can click the link at the yeah. bottom and see. Um, but, uh, oh, here it is. I wanted to tell you about the compound annual growth rate for electric buses. 2022 20 to 20, 2022 to 2029 is 43.2%. 43.2% yeah. compound annual growth rate for electric buses. That's insane. That is significantly higher 
than for passenger vehicles. So tell me where you're going to put your money. Yeah. Boom. Guys. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like that? You hear that? Nice. Oh, my God. Wow. This has been so informational. Oh, my God. I'm like, <laughs> like, get me out of here so I can read this report. But, um, yeah, no. Uh, anything else you want to add uh, about either food tech or EVs or e? E-buses. 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 <laughs> uh, you know, I just, I think the one thing I, I always want to just remind investors is don't be afraid of, of progress. Don't be afraid of technology. I mean, that's, you know, if you think about the, the, the wealthiest people today, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, like these guys, you know, they made money because they did something before anybody else. Yeah. You know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not smart enough to be like Elon Musk or Jeff. I, I'm not even close to smart as those guys. But I'm smart enough to know who to follow and who not to. You know. And if I and I, you know, again, early investor in Amazon, early investor in Tesla, just see what the smart people are doing and do what they're doing. There we go. That sounds that sounds like the plan. Yeah. I feel like I'm just gonna follow the the intelligent ones. And you yeah. know, I, I and just let me point out too, Jeff Bezos. Um, I don't know if I have a whole list here. But uh, Jeff Bezos, um, Bill Gates again, Elon Musk, uh, these guys have invested millions in, in cultured meat. Oh, there you have it. And they're not talking about it. They're not writing about it. Yeah, because they're just like quietly just like making money. And then they're yeah. like, oh, by the way, I actually own the entire planet now. So, yeah. <laughs> well, even before I was saying too, like Cargo, ADM, Yum Brands, like all the big ag tech companies, all the big, um, like let's say big ag they're all investing. Yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned that earlier. So if the people that would be like the like kind of competitors, I guess, in a way, not even competitors, but I guess kind of like already in the game, they're like, oh, like this well, they is just clearly found, the future. Like Someone showed up at the door and they said, I found a way to help you do this cheaper and more efficiently. And we can prove it. And they proved it. And that's why they're investing in it. Yeah. So clearly, it's, 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 yeah. it is funny because sometimes people will say, well, you know, the, the big food production companies will never let this happen. I'm like, they're funding it. Yeah, they're like, you know, please help us save money and I, make things easier. I have literally gone to, to um, financing events for some of these companies. And I know the people that are there that are from ADM. There you go. You know, and from Cargill. You know, they're there. They're not there because they're bored. You yeah. Know? They're there because, like, God, this is the future and this is how they're going to make more money. And you know what? Might as well make it with them. Right? Exactly. Yeah, for real. Join them. Ride the ride the wave of mm -hmm. that. Dang, yeah. Well, there you have it. Jeff, thank you so much again for joining for this podcast. Thank um, you for Like you me. said, check the, the description for the access to the report because everyone here wants to make more money. So I feel like Why this is definitely. You? Yeah, literally. Come on. <laughs> is the sun hot? Yes. Do you want to make more money? Also, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll make sure to tune in next week. Um, again, thank you so much for watching. Thank you for joining. My make pleasure. sure to like, subscribe, comment your favorite. Do you like beef? Would you eat cultured meat? Or I cake? would love to see that. Can yeah, we right? do that? Yeah, yeah. Would you eat this? If I, would, I right? we, Do you think we could do that? Put like a, I would be very curious to know what people think. Would they be interested in trying it? Yeah. Okay. If we were to invite you to a backyard barbecue and it was only yes. cultured meat, would you go and would you eat the food? Do you know I could comment probably below. make that happen? You should. I mean, I'll I could go. definitely, like, I know enough people that, I, I mean, it would have to be a small number because it's still quite expensive to make it. But, you know, maybe I could bring some people in and, and let people, let some of our readers try it. And me. As long of as course. I can go. Oh, yeah. There we go. Well, there we go. <laughs> Comment below. Please say yes because that'd be so cool. Awesome. Nice. All right. Well, thanks again for watching. Um, we'll see you next week. <laughs>